0: My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. They're
1: here. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr Cowboy?
0: yippee ki motherfucker. It's showtime. Right, welcome everybody to another episode of the VHS Strikes Back. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Feltz, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr Dave Horrocks.
1: Hi there, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the VHS Strikes Back, the show where we dust off the old video player and go on a nostalgic journey to look at the good and the bad movies of yesteryear.
0: Chris, what are we going to review this week? Well, Dave, we are going back to 1992, and it's an absolute iconic movie. Quentin Tarantino's first and probably most recognisable with Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs.
1: Awesome. Now, what, what do you remember about this one? And I, I guess I'm going to lump in this one and Pulp Fiction as well.
0: Um, With Reservoir Dogs, and I I got this wrong. I think in my mind, I always thought that the movie had never come out in the UK, but there was a big amnesty. It did release in the UK, but they wouldn't put it onto VHS because of the whole ear-cutting-off scene. Mm-hmm. Now, it was one of them... I was only, when it first came out, I was like 13, so I, I couldn't have got in the cinema anyway. I did look older than... What I, you know, what I was, but there's no way I could pass for an eighteen, and I was dying to get it on video. Now, this was probably in the UK one of the most bootlegged movies, I think, on VHS. I did see a really poor version of it, and after about five minutes, I turned it off. I was about fourteen, fifteen, I think it was about ninety three, ninety four. I had it, and then. Um, I just never watched it. But then when I got with Sam in 98, she loved this movie. She had it on VHS. She'd gone to the cinema to watch it. She'd bought it. She absolutely loved it. So it was one of the ones where we just sat down one night when we first got together and watched it. And I was like, you know what? It's a a good film. And I think from there, obviously just before that, we'd had Pulp Fiction. I love Pulp Fiction more than anything. I I love that movie when it first came out. It was just so... Different to anything I'd seen, and then like Dust Till Dawn was another one. Obviously, he mainly stars in that one, but he did write and do some of the scenes in it. So I think, it, and also, Dave, let's not be let's be honest. The soundtrack, you know, uh, where well, they don't know why yeah. it came to tonight, that is just unbelievable. It was so iconic, and the start where the walking and that scene with the music is replayed on reality shows, TV, movies. It's been absolutely pop culture uh, copied from the minute this film come out because it was so iconic for the 90s and onwards. I don't think, obviously, people younger than us would realise how important it was, but for us, this was like a massive game-changer movie. It certainly was for me anyway.
1: Yeah, it, it, it absolutely was for me as well, to be honest. And, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but as much of a success as this was for independent movies, I mean, this created massive waves, but in the 90s you had loads of different indie directors you had danny boyle doing train spotting um you know robert rodriguez you had doing el mariachi and desperado and then obviously uh, from Dust till dawn uh who else kevin smith obviously you know so you had a lot of these genuine proper indie directors whereas now you have you know things like fox searchlight you have these major studios who create these little subdivisions that just focus on finding indie indie movies and distributing them so it's it's kind of the 90s was not the death of independent cinema but but it it kind of was you know because it's all sort of folded into the big corporates now but um for me chris what what i remember about this one i'd never heard about this definitely never heard about it when it was on the cinema um but I, I used to go, one of my best mates at the time, Mike, who used to always watch. Remember Fantasy Football? Yeah, With yeah. Lynn Skinner. <laughs> he always <laughs> used to go around and watch those. And, you know, it was around about this time. And I went around one day and he had this copy of Reservoir Dogs. Now, this is this would have been the summer of 93, Chris. So it came out, made a massive splash in, at the Sundance Festival in 92. Uh, but it, it would have been 93 when I watched it. I'd never heard about it, but he he really liked it, so it's like yeah, just stick it on like. And Chris, I I was just blown away. I had never seen anything like this. Now we've discussed that, you know, parents probably didn't have you know the uh, they didn't pay attention to the age ratings on too many things. You know, you know as much as. As now, you know, it's. I mean, obviously, if there was some sexy stuff, then, then you weren't allowed to watch that. But if it was people, you know, watching a bit of Hellraiser or, you know, Freddy Krueger, then that's all fair game. You know, Robocop having people's hands and heads blown off and stuff. <laughs> so I'd seen loads of violent things, but there was something about the grittiness and the violence in this. It felt so different to me than anything that I'd seen before. And I, I just loved it. And like you say, the I I, I couldn't really figure out, honestly, the first time I was watching, I couldn't really figure out what the hell was going on because of that nonlinear linear uh, storytelling. You know, I've been used to just that sequential, you step right through the plot and everything. But I just knew that I was watching something special. And honestly, Chris, I, I just loved it. And then, so, you know, I managed to get my own copy and... Uh, watched it over and over again and and honestly i haven't watched it now for probably about 10 years or something and then when i when i thought about it and i wanted to to come back and watch this one i put it on and i just remembered how much i love this and and so obviously you know i'm showing my hand completely but yeah i loved it and like you say that little green bag when it's playing and you've got the Uh, all the guys in the stylish black suits and shades and everything I mean how many you say about you know being immersed in pop culture but I mean what about you you see like weddings and things and stag do's and that people trying to emulate that scene you know and so yeah absolutely brilliant and I think I'm going to speculate here Chris that I think a lot of people, obviously in the UK, because it only got released in on video in '95, didn't it? Because because of the whole ban thing, or they couldn't get the license uh, to release it on VHS. I remember watching Pulp Fiction on the on the cinema uh, in '94, and to be honest, Chris, that was my first year at university, first year at college, and. Pulp Fiction posters were basically everywhere. You always had a poster sale every Thursday so you could get a massive poster for a fiver. You go to any house party or anything and you've got Uma Thurman there and uh, John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, you know, plastered over everyone's walls. And it it kind of... I enjoyed Pulp Fiction. I really, really do enjoy it. But for me, I think I kind of... Because I'd seen Reservoir Dogs first... I kind of gravitate more towards that because all of the same hallmarks, the non-linear storytelling, the brilliant soundtrack, uh, you know, the the snappy dialogue, that was all in Reservoir Dogs. And Pulp Fiction was just, you know, obviously it was a different story, but it's got all the same hallmarks and a lot more budget and polish. Um, But yeah, so I I think most people who, who went back to see Reservoir Dogs probably like Pulp Fiction a little bit more, certainly at, at at that time.
0: Yeah, and I think I fall in that category, Dave, because I, I think I'd watched Pulp Fiction not far after And you're right, the budget made a difference. Bruce Willis was in it. I love John McClane. Uh, they had all sorts of different actors in it. You know, John Travolta, especially Samuel L. Jackson, the fucking Royal with cheese m- scene, Dave. You know, that is like... Iconic. Tasty burger. Yeah, exactly. That that (laughs) scene is fucking amazing. You know, I'm gonna come down with Fioris Vengeance. And again, that was copied. And I think with with Tarantino the one thing I would say, a lot of his early work, where he, he he sort of just didn't give a shit. And I think as he's gone on, he's tried to get a bit clever with some of his movies. Now, I personally love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. A lot of people thought it was boring. I went to the cinema. There was four of us. Me and Sam and our friend Aces, you know, he's been the drummer in our band, his wife, Emma. And Sam and Emma fucking hated it. Me and Asa were sat like either end of the girls and we come out like, that is fucking amazing. So clever. Tarantino with nods to all of his movies. Really clever stuff. The Bruce Lee thing, where Bruce Lee gets battered by Brad Pitt. I <laughs> love that the fucking, car, exactly. Brad Pitt's wearing <laughs> fucking slipper moccasins through the whole movie, but he's an absolute psycho. The whole, um, you know, the Manson family stuff going on. I love that movie because it's just Tarantino 101, but there's loads of people. I know some people got up and left. Sam and Emma were like, if we weren't here we used to, we'd have fucking gods at the bar. You know, and it's like, I get it. He's very polarizing. Whereas his earlier stuff, I just think they're just, they are classic movies, Dave. They really are classic movies. And I think, I mean, like I say, I loved us till dawn. And you mentioned El uh, Mariachi and Desperado. Desperado, I love that with Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas. Oh, classic film, Dave. Absolutely. Well, I'll probably have to do that at some point. I love that in the definitely, night. Definitely. Definitely. Salma Hayek. Oh, amazing film.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love Desperado as well. Um, yeah, definitely. I uh, don't know if I want to. Yeah, there's a particular thing yeah, that I probably won't talk about on the podcast. right. <laughs> I'm gonna really tell you. Better you better tell off.
0: me afterwards, Dave, <laughs> because you can't leave me hanging. Anybody wants to do that, then you can pay for them at fly, and I'll tell <laughs> you <laughs> and we'll go to Vegas.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. No, don't say that, Dave. On. I don't know what you're gonna tell <laughs> me, but anyway <laughs> Desperado, I might decide to tell it then. Okay. But yeah, no, so um yeah, Chris. We've been gushing a little bit in our in our just intro section, so should we go into our trailer? Let's go. Face Put the gun down. Hey, your names. Mr. White. Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink.
0: Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool sounding name. Let's go to work. Well, I don't... What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. <laughs> if they hadn't it done, what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're
1: acting like a first-year thief. I'm
0: acting like a professional. Can have some stupid motherfuckers.
1: He no choice at all. Bam! 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 Bam!
0: Bam! You're under arrest, Sugar. <laughs> Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, I'm gonna shoot this guy.
1: Now we start off with the iconic scene around the breakfast table where all of our gang of criminals are talking and we get uh, Mr. Brown, played by Quentin Tarantino, telling everyone about uh, the background on what uh, Madonna's song, Like a Virgin, is about. Uh, We also find out that Mr. Pink doesn't believe in tipping. And
0: uh, yeah, what do you make to the opening, Chris? It's interesting, you know, Dave, because... I couldn't remember. I I genuinely think I've only ever seen this maybe twice, if once. I was saying to Sam, like, did I watch it just once with you? And because of the bootleg copy was terrible and I turned it off and thinking, have I actually just watched this on one occasion? But I remember the start, A little bit, but not the tipping bit. I don't know why I've I've missed that. Now, the old guy, I went down a proper rabbit hole about the cast, and the old guy was an absolute psychopath in real life, Dave. Even at 75 years old, he was getting done over. Uh, He was doing people over in bars and stuff. He was absolutely, I think it's Lawrence Tierney his name is, um, and he was a proper hard man, and apparently Tarantino said like he was a fucking nightmare on the set. He was just so crazy and out there, even as an old bloke, he wanted to fight people and stuff. <laughs> but I don't remember any of that. I mean, I don't know why I hadn't, but as the film went on, it, it you know, it was almost like it was bits of it was like I was watching it again. I think it starts off really good. I love the fact that Tarantino just didn't show the heist because he couldn't afford yeah. to. I, I I think that worked. And you know, we're gonna review in a few weeks um a terrible martial arts movie Dave, not revealing our hand, but it's the same <laughs> format of what Tarantino did, you know, this guy raised money. Like, he was in a video shop, didn't he, Tarantino? He raised money, and it was only yeah. through someone who knew Harvey Keitel that this got made. and got more of a budget. The film we're going to review tried to go down the same route, but Britt was bankrupted mainly because the film is fucking shit, Dave. So there's <laughs> a difference of what Tarantino did in his vision and the way he shot it. You've got a I applaud him ten out of ten for that. And I think the start of it is really strong. It cements all the characters, just leaving a few more crumbs to to flesh out who's who. But you see straight away, Arvikai tells sort of like the leader of the pack, and he's a bit of a a wise guy. He won't, he's taking that book thing off the old guy. And then you've got obviously Chris Penn there, you know, R. I P, he's um the son. And uh, I just think it's great. I think the whole thing together, and you look at the young guy, like Tim Roth, he was plucked from nowhere for this one. He gave yeah. Michael Madsen, people like that. They, were, they weren't they were actors. They were people that he auditioned Tarantino because he just didn't have the budget. And he, he yeah. it's, I, th- I think that deserves loads of credit. And what's funny, Dave, is Mr. Blue, he's played by a guy called Edward Bunker. He was mm. a career criminal up yeah. to the mid-70s. So he actually was sort of, doing a busman's holiday in this role but yeah for me it starts really strong what about yourself oh i love
1: this opening scene it's just everything about it you know the dialogue the interaction the way the camera is just circling around the table and you can see all the people discussing um you know you get you get tarantino with this you know this chick, right, she's a regular fuck machine. Dick, 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 Mr. Blue gets pretty much his only line. He's like, how many dicks is that? You know, you just... This kind of organic interaction, but like I say, it's the camera work as well. One of the things I'm impressed with with Tarantino is how he, he thinks, he's a massive film geek, isn't he? And, and basically, he, he loves movies. And so, you know, he obviously homages a lot of things intentionally, but he's thinking about every single shot, every single second about what that, not only the dialogue, what it's telling you, but what is the camera, what is visually going on there as well. And again, I think up until this point, a lot of dialogue in movies, I think, it's just exposition, isn't it? It's just purely there to tell you something about, you know, the character or the characters or mainly it's to tell you about the plot. Whereas this, like I say, you get, yeah, this fucking nonsense story about like a virgin—it's <laughs> and it's not really there, other than to just show a bit of interaction between this gang, you know, and having a bit of banter with the lads. And I—I love that, Chris. You say you don't remember this opening scene. The amount of times over the years I've used Mister Pink's uh, uh, visual cue of playing the smallest violin in the world. <laughs> I often, I used it all the time. I, did, I never knew where I got it from, Dave, but it was definitely from this. I was it's brilliant. And, and I think, you know, again, it, it's just, it's interesting because what he's saying is not wrong. He's saying like, you get food at McDonald's, you don't tip them, do you? But no, society deems you, to, you tip these people, but you don't tip these people. And I, I just think, you know, again, it just, it tells you something about his character. You know he he might not be right, and he's putting himself out there in a bunch of blo with a bunch of blokes that he doesn't really know, so rather than coughing up one dollar for a tip, you know he'd sooner have this this debate, so you know he's someone who stands uh closely to his convictions. absolutely love it, Chris.
0: Yeah, it's funny actually because we've all got fucking mates, Dave, who won't chip in to pay a tip. Some right, <laughs> I've got some right tight-arse mates. So I, I I can relate to that straight away and Steve, Steve Buscemi is brilliant. I mean, I've just watched him. I've gone through in lockdown and watched all the Sopranos for the first time. I can't praise that show enough. I think it's probably my best ever TV show and he's in that for quite a bit in one of the series, Dave. And he's just the same, Any smart ass, You know, he's, he's he's like slimy. I always think of Con Air when he was Be the paedophile who who changes himself all of a sudden, which is fucking nonsense. But he's always got that like weirdness about him and quirkiness. And I think even in this, this is one of his first ever movies. um, He's still got that just, I don't know, he's just, there's something about him that makes your skin crawl sometimes because he's just a (laughs) smart ass. And I like his characters. I like the fact that he's kicking off with Joe, you know, the old bloke, and he's going, why the fuck am Mr. I He's <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> no, so what can I swap with someone else? He's going, no, you fucking can't. You're Mr. Pink. That's it. What about Mr. Purple? No, someone else is Mr. Purple. And it's just like, the oh, daftly childish things. As you're talking about it, Dave, as we're talking about it, the things come back to you more. And it's interesting, you know, because not to reveal my hand, but as the film goes on, I started to lose a little bit of interest. But at the start, I was dead strong on it. I was like, this is fucking brilliant again. You know, it's just purely Tarantino just doing what he does best. But yeah, I think the dialogue on this is brilliant. And I think what, with Tarantino, with a lot of his films, especially like the ones upon a time in Hollywood, a little line will be said by somebody and unless you know who tarantino is or a pop culture reference of some sort it'll go over your head and then all of a sudden you go oh fucking clever fucker you know he said something that you you not you know what I mean he plays to the audience but you've got he, he, you have to know him as as much as he has to know his own audience and i love that about some of the things that people say like the big kahuna burger Dave, he's in all the movies pretty much that that mm. that uh, chain of uh, um restaurants and these different things the cigarettes, I I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, the cigarettes.
1: What Red. Uh, oh, I'm gonna have to look it up as we're talking. But, but yeah. So, so all of these little things in this same kind of universe, and I'm sure we'll we'll touch on a few more of those things. Just just before we move on, though, I, I want to pick up. You said about you know Harvey K. Tal and basically because because Tarantino, he was working at the video shop, but he was trying to, uh, you know, he was a script doctor as well. He was working on various scripts. And basically, he was going to shoot this thing for about 30 grand uh, just with friends and stuff. And then the script ended up with Harvey Keitel, who'd done stuff like Bad Lieutenant and whatever. And, and you know, he wanted to co-produce the, this movie. And that's what he helped him raise a staggering $1 million to make this movie, Chris.
0: That's amazing. Now, to put
1: it into context, right? One of our, I'm using 80s quote fingers, favorites, cool as ice... had a budget (laughs) of six million (laughs) dollars so six times the budget was spent on cool as ice as it was on reservoir dogs and if you're in any doubt about how he's made that money stretch in this movie, you know, just think of that comparison.
0: <laughs> it's funny, you know. We watched a film called "The Wrong Missy" last night on Netflix, which I highly recommend. It's a bit of a rom com uh, with davy Spade, but it's fucking ridiculous, Dave. Stupid mo- movie. But Midler Ice is in it at the end. he's oh, in really? Like, and I said to Sam, "You see him across the bar, and he he becomes part of the scene." But I said. I'm sure, that's vanilla rice. You know, he's like a hat on to turn to the side. Sam went, No, it's not. And the girl walks over and went, I fucking told you he was in a vanilla rice. She's calling him Rob. Obviously, he's Rob Van Winkle in it or something. But um did, it, it, did it, he go, <laughs> Ditch the zero and get yourself <laughs> a hero. hero. No, <laughs> he was still he was still bunny hopping on a fucking sports bike over a fucking eight-foot fence chasing a horse. Yeah, and, and I'll never forgive <laughs> for putting that on me, Dave. What a film. <laughs> but you're right I mean you look at that for a million that Fantastic Four that we we slated on Comics in Motion but then felt bad when we watched the documentary that was a budget of about a million I think and that is terrible so I think what Tarantino does is very, very clever. Like we did *Samurai Cop* a few weeks ago, and *Samurai Cop* was that i had the extras in their own cars, in their own fucking clothes, sitting up on set. It's almost like he could just afford them to wear suits, and said to him, "Right, wear your own clothes. This is all we've got." And I mean, Dave, it absolutely was a platform for most of the actors in the well, pretty much all the main characters. Went on to bigger and better things. Chris Penn's yeah. probably the only one who didn't go downhill as such, but then we got like the best of the best and stuff like that. He wasn't as successful. Michael Madsen has been in Tarantino films pretty much ever since. He wasn't in Pulp Fiction for obvious reasons, um, which obviously we'll talk about that as well. But yet all the others just went up and up and up. And, and that's why, like, Harvey Keitel, I think Tarantino forever and a day will be uh, indebted to that man because he wouldn't have had the career yeah. if it wasn't for him.
1: Oh, no. I mean, he he does. He does. is a talented bloke. He's definitely one of my favorite directors. And just, I know we're jumping around a bit, but you talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I cannot describe to you, Chris, why I find it so captivating to watch Brad Pitt make his dog a dinner at all. But yeah. I love that scene.
0: Yeah. I absolutely
1: I loved it. And again, I think it's part of the camera work. It's the sound engineering that's going on because you know he's not saying anything and you get this dog you know he has been really good and waiting for his dinner like and i i could watch that scene now you know and just be mesmerized by it i don't know what he does but i can definitely see what you're saying about like you know sam and that not really enjoying it i can imagine a lot of people just watching that like thinking what the fuck am i doing with my life you know yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I, I, I don't know about you, Dave, and I I think you hit the net. I think me and you, and especially on this side of things, are coming from the same uh, area because what I loved about that is, and Tarantino films in general is he will have scenes in it that are nothing to do with the movie, but you, like you say, he fucking feeds his dog that minging dog food, two tins of it, that big fuck-off minging 1960s dog food. And he feeds it to the dog, and it's fucking minging. It's almost at the levels as *Back to the Future*, when Einstein's food just keeps getting slopped oh, in, yeah, in all the yeah. machines, <laughs> and it's horrible. When you look at it, you're like, "Oh, that that's making me heave." And you're right. And, and what he does, Tarantino, is he'll just throw a scene in that's probably he's spent. It's took him weeks to get it together, and it doesn't do anything in the movie. He, he, that that scene and these scenes with Leonardo DiCaprio in that way. You're watching it, thinking what is that about? It's nothing to do with the story of Rick. Is it Rick Dillinger? I think he's calling it whatever. Um, And and it's like, it has nothing to do with him at all. And then obviously the end is just crazy spoilers, but it's just crazy at the end. And that's what I think for me is he tries to show a bit of normality, a bit of just, just stupid. You can have someone smoking a cigarette and you're like, what the fuck's this? This means something in the film. And at the end of it, you're like, no, it doesn't. He was just being Tarantino. He was just trying <laughs> to throw you off the scent. And that's what I think I enjoy about his directing more than anything.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting you say about not shooting the heist for budget. It's brilliant when, when, you, when you understand things like that, don't you? Because ultimately, not showing the heist makes it, when, when they're trying to piece together what's happened, you know, and they're describing events, and then they're remembering it slightly differently. You know, and you're you've got no idea because you haven't seen it. You're trying to piece together, right? What really happened? I think it just it makes this really good. You know, and it, I think if I, we'd have seen the heist, it wouldn't have made it as good. And um, but Chris, what what do you make? So so we go straight from breakfast to. Tim Roth, uh, Mister Orange, covered in blood in the back seat of the car, you know, thinking he's going to die. I mean, what? <laughs> I've got my own thoughts on it, but I want to know what what did you make to that particular scene there? I, I think when
0: when it, I initially watched it, Dave, like I say, I don't really remember the the tipping scene, but I remember it being pretty at the start. It just goes backwards, doesn't it? Really, it tells the story in different timelines and stuff. Is it's good effects because Tim Roth, just like he's on his way out, doesn't he? He absolutely does. And the police are chasing them and everything. And they get him to the um, the warehouse, don't they? And Harvey Kai telling him, and then Steve Buscemi comes in and that. I think it's great. I think the fact that you don't see proper cops or all the other things, you, you hear the, the sirens, you see there's a couple of bits later on where it expands on what's happened and how he gets shot and everything. However, for that point in the movie, I think it's perfect, if I'm being honest, Dave. See,
1: I I love this movie, to be honest. But there's something slightly jarring for me about how Tim Roth is pulling that off. And it's not in... It, it's the voice, Chris. It's the voice, because it's like... I don't know if he's auditioning for the Muppets or something. And obviously I I've never taken a bullet to the stomach. I don't know quite how I'd react. It wouldn't be a nice calm uh usual dulcet tones from me, you know. I, I I'd I'm sure I'd be screaming of some description. But it's like it's the fact that he's like
0: "Larry! Larry! I'm going to die. I'm going to die, Larry." <laughs> It sounds like Kermit the Frog, Dave. That's what I mean. It does. It does. It sounds like muppets
1: or something. Go back on YouTube after we finish recording, and just think about what I've said. And it—it's it, just—I can't, I can't quite take it seriously. Um, and and that's the only bit of the movie really that that takes me
0: out of it. It's that, you know, Larry. Yeah, Larry. I've never even thought about that, to be honest. But yeah, I I thought it was okay. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I did fanboy over, Dave. Again, a little bit of a reference and I message you straight away was I'd never realised that they have the flashback with uh, Chris Penn, uh, the dad, Lawrence Tierney, and obviously Michael Madsen when he comes into the um, to see him, don't he's been in jail and everything. And yeah. Chris Penn's just like, yeah, yeah, you want it up the yes. air. and I'm like, this is a bit strong. I mean, some of the dialogue is of its time. Let's, let's be honest. Some of the, that, some that of it's. On, that
1: scene again, t- went on too long, didn't it? Or it yeah. felt, it, it felt like it went on past the point of being comfortable you know when they're wrestling yeah, around yeah. on the floor they yeah. are going at it for ages aren't it's it? basically
0: saying one of you getting uh done up the backside and all this yeah, it, was proper, yeah. it was to the knuckle sort of thing you know i get it i get what it's about he's been in jail they're having a bit of a joke you know soap in the shower job and all that but when he said to him vic vega and i was like oh my god i didn't realize it's vincent vega's brother who is John Travolta yeah. in Pulp Fiction. And I've seen that fucking loads of times. I love that film. So I'd never realised. And then I was like, "At then. them and I knew parts of the films are connected slightly. And then I'm on a fucking rabbit all day for half an hour. And I rang you and you were like, well, that can't be right. Cause I was talking about Tim Roth, one of these big conspiracies that a lot of the characters move over into Pulp Fiction, like Mr. Pink mm-hmm. working in as a waiter because he won't tip at the start of this movie. He says about, I was a waiter. I know how shit it is and blah, blah, blah. So I won't tip. And then they're supposed to be a thing that he's still in, he's still alive, and that's actually him in Port Fiction. Well, then the other theory was that Mr. Orange is still alive, Dave, Mr. Tim Roth. So I'm not necessarily thinking that is correct as such, but... Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, it, I know, it? I know. <laughs> but but that, that was the theory, because you don't actually see him completely dead. When I watched it again, I was like, mm. But then again, the amount of blood that Tim Roth has got on that thing is ridiculous, Dave. It's almost like they slaughtered <laughs> about five bodies. There's that much so, blood there. He will not be alive.
1: Yeah. I mean, Mr. Orange and Mr. White, so uh, they, they get to the warehouse first, don't they? And I like that they kept gradually adding more and more blood you know, uh, to Mr. Orange. And I believe, you know, at the time, you know, basically Tim Roth was glued to the floor pretty much. He couldn't move by the end of it. You know, he's basically stuck there. But yeah, they, they get there first, don't they? And followed by Mr. Pink. And I'm with you, Chris, about Steve Buscemi, how he acts. He is brilliant at creating that creepy, kind of slimy character. But I I must admit, watching it this time, I'm thinking he's kind of the only one who's talking any sense. You know, Larry, let's face it, right? He gets too emotionally involved. He trusts Mr. Orange. You know, he takes him under his wing. He's a bit of a mentor to him, doesn't he? And yet, you know, spoilers, but he ended up being the rat. And it's Mr. Pink who's trying to piece together, you know, and saying, look, we were set up. The cops were there too fast, and you know when Mister they showed up exactly after uh, Mister Blonde started shooting everyone, and so he's like, "This is absolutely a setup." So, so I think I think I probably watching it this time gave uh, Mister Pink a bit more credit this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I think as well, Dave. One thing that did, there's a couple of bits continuity wise, and this is just nitpicking, just because you see it more than anything. Is when Steve Buscemi, Mister Pink, is telling Mister White how he got away. He's got the diamonds, but the safe. And I, I kept thinking, like, what's the, what's the twist? I I can't remember the twist, Dave. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't. And I'm like, oh, Steve Buscemi, does he does he do them all at the end? Is he like you know a bit of a Kaiser Sosa sort of thing, and he just disappears? Or I can't, I could not remember. And it shows him running down the street now. He's running down the street and he's pegging it and he's got the gun and he's knocking people over and he's got three coppers running together like a cartoon, yeah. like the anthill mob are chasing after someone. That would never happen. Do, do, right? you know, right, I'm, just, I'm just
1: comics in motion, right? I said about the coppers in Dark Knight Rises, there must be about 500 coppers all running shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, you did, yeah. You did, you And you did. were going to call out
0: three. No, but so, it was... so
1: I, I agree with you, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw it and I thought, yeah, that looks slightly ridiculous. It bit.
0: did look stupid and they didn't look like coppers. They genuinely looked like extras who have been given a gun and gone, look, just run down the road. Because the continuity was ruined because Steve Buscemi runs past the doorway of a shop and they're close to him. But when you look at him running before he gets knocked over, they're nowhere to be seen on that road. And I'm like, at least Sean running a hundred yards behind because they they run past the same shop as him literally instantly, but they're not there when you see the wider shot of it all. And and it's not, it's not the end of the world at all. It genuinely isn't, but it was one of them things as I think, because we review stuff now, I was like, Oh, that looks a bit fucking stupid. But however, I do also think that they've all got the stormtrooper guns on these people, Dave. Steve (laughs) Bishimi gets one off, but, I can't understand how there's literally hardly any damage to anything, the amount of bullets that they're firing off. And Bashimi must have a a semi-automatic handgun because he fires (laughs) off about 60 bullets before he has to reload. All that aside, it's still a great scene because it expands on them just being outside of the warehouse and how he comes about with the case and all that thing. So so I get all that. But again... it doesn't fall apart, it doesn't, it genuinely doesn't, it tells a story great, but that was just a little crumb that I picked up. Yeah, you're right, and, and the thing that I like
1: though, Chris, about this, this non-linear storytelling, Tarantino doesn't just chop up scenes and just willy-nilly just put them in any, any particular order, it's, it's telling you a bit more about Mr. Pink and what he went through, you know so you know and the fact that he's taken out all these cops you know shot shot them dead then you're pretty sure you know what he's not the rat <laughs> you know yeah. um so it tells you a bit more and it adds to the story at that particular mm-hmm. moment in time and i think it's just so cleverly done and yeah. um yeah oh, but chris i have to say <sighs> When Mr. White shows up uh, sorry, not Mr. White, Mr. Blonde shows up. So Michael Madsen and he's just sat there with his fucking <laughs> with his McDonald's milkshake or whatever it is he's got. And he's just chilled as fuck. You know, that we've already heard that he started shooting up the place and then he's just chilling out, grabbed himself a takeaway on on the way to the to the meetup point. I just think he's so good, and and the performance that he gives, and Mister White's going nuts at him, and it's that line Chris where he goes, "Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite?" Yeah, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> you, just yeah. Think you are, you are as cool as a newt, chilled as a newt. You know, I just think he's brilliant, and even when they kind of resolve the differences, you know, and it's Mister Pink again; he's getting in the in the middle. You know, and he he's like, well, I'm pretty sure you're on the level. He's talking to Mister White, and you know, because he's seen Mister Blonde shooting everyone up. He, he's like, well, you're too crazy to sort of be the rat or anything. So he talks them all down. But then Mister Blonde, even then, he's like, oh, it's getting all getting all excited there, you know. And he's just like, you know, I I just think Michael Madsen it, it is just brilliant in this whole scene.
0: I do. I think it's his best party plays in any movie, but afterwards, wherever because it's just, he's absolutely perfect. Now, Dave, we've got to talk about probably even more, well, probably as iconic as the strut down the road, but stuck in the middle with you, Dave. So uh, yep. Mr. Pink, Mr. White leave. Tim Roth's there, Mr. Orange. He's still lay on that slab on that little ramp, and he gets a copper. He's got this copper tied up, sits him down, and he's like, oh, we're alone at last. And then just fucking, oh, I mean, you don't see it, but this is what got the film banned in the UK from a VHS release for four years, uh, three years, sorry, come out in 95, and then they released, like, a special edition. But the, the cutting off the ear, and, that, and it's good special effects, Dave. You know, as much as he didn't have a big budget, I think the actual practical effects of that when you see his ear, and what I love, though, Mr. Blonde cuts his ear off as that's talking into his ear. Can you yeah, hear this? Right, Dave, like, how's he going, you fucking wanker? <laughs> That'd be like... However, the one thing I would say, the copper doesn't scream as much as you'd think he would now that he's lost the ear, Dave. When he's getting that ear took off, he's not... As bad as what you think, you think he'd be screaming, would not you?
1: Yeah, I guess there's there's a few things there, I, and so apparently to get ready for this scene, the, uh, the copper, and I, I can't remember what his name is. I have to try and find it here somewhere. Oh, it's it's this guy, so Marvin Nash. He's the yeah. he's the copper. So played by Kirk uh, Bolts, according to IMDb here. Um, so to get ready for the scene, you know, uh, to be in the in the trunk. He he insisted the copper to be in the trunk and then got uh Michael Madsen to drive him around so you know he could get into character. And so Michael Madsen thought, well, well great, I'll get into character too. And like was swerving to hit potholes and everything and make it <laughs> as uncomfortable <laughs> as possible. So he was going full on sort of Mr. Blonde with it all. And uh I I don't know about the screaming. I think this this copper does a bloody good tortured Uh, victim and you know we we talk about obviously the ear is is the the most gruesome bit but you don't actually see it again the camera just moves to the to the corner of the the room doesn't it while it's all going on and and your mind's eye is kind of seeing and imagining what's going on there um but i think there's, there's a few bits you know when he's flicking in with the razor and stuff and you know, I think a lot of that was just ad-libbed, you know, sort of pleading for his life and stuff. And, you know, he, he gets out the gun and he's he's squirming and trying to avoid, you know, he's trying to not get shot in the head kind of thing. Chris, I, I think this is a, a masterful performance by him.
0: It's interesting that, you know, because I'm more on to sort of Michael Madsen. And I think when uh, Mr. Blonde's about to kill him and then from nowhere, Tim Roth, Mr. Orange, just as a... He sort of resurrected, does he, and fires off him and kills him. And I forgot about that, Dave. I genuinely mm. forgot all this bit. I did. And I think you're right. He, the, the cop is good. When he's talking to uh, Mr. Orange and he's like, what's your name? He's like, Marvin. You know, and he's talking away to me and he's like, you're a cop. I know your name, you know, Freddie, and all this. And he knows who he is. Um, I, I think that is where the movie sets itself above. Any, I think anything that's become before it, Dave, you're right. We've seen some gruesome movies and all that. But I think... Storytelling in this movie, with not having a big budget and not actually doing a lot, is it leaves a lot to be desired when you watch some other movies that have got big budgets because it tells it perfectly. It's a diamond heist that has gone fucking wrong, badly wrong. You know, yeah, and I, 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 again, I, I think because we'd seen the scene
1: with Mister Blonde and you know, uh, nice guy Eddie and and the thing as uh, as Tim Roth describes him or Mister or Orange describes him. Um We'd seen that before the ear cutting scene, and, and before Mister Orange shoots him. So, we as the audience know that Mister Blonde is very, very close to uh, uh, oh, I can't remember what Cabot things. Name? Cabot, Joe Cabot, and Joe,
0: his brother, yeah, big Eddie, Joe. Eddie, yeah. nice guy, Eddie. Yeah,
1: he's, he's very close to them too. And so, when Miss, when everyone comes back, and you know, Mister Orange makes up this story about how he's going to kill everyone. We know that is not going to fly, you know. And I think that again, it's just a little thing that just—it's how expertly the story is being told. You know, the the fact that we know that. But um, yeah. Apparently, another thing that uh, that I found out. So again, when this copper is is ad libbing and and everything. So Michael Madsen is apparently you know a big teddy bear. Apparently, he's you know he's a really nice guy and everything, and was really uncomfortable with this scene and him and his wife they just had a little baby and the copper said like you know i've got a kid you know and, and everyone on set apparently was like oh shit you know and and they were kind of a bit worried that he's not going to be able to fi- finish the scene michael madsen so you know again you have to ta- take your hat off to him that he puts in a performance like that you absolutely believe that this is one badass psychopathic motherfucker with no empathy whatsoever you know and there's so many great lines you know talk to you yeah that's a good idea and you can scream all you want i don't really care (laughs) yeah but um you know when when he gets killed though and the copper as you just said you know he's like yeah i know who you were You saw, again, I remember thinking the first time, you're like, holy shit. So all that time while he's being tortured, while he's squirming to dodge, you know, and trying to avoid being shot in the head, he's having his ear fucking cut off. He's watching Mr. Blonde talk into his ear. All that time, he knows that that guy right there is the rat. He's the cop. And he he doesn't rat him out. And I just think, you know, again, I think this this actor and this copper, you know, plays, play a very understated role in this story.
0: You know what, Dave? I think that's a great argument. It's something, not an argument, just a great uh, analysis of that scene because I'd never thought of it like that. He, he does go under the radar. Nobody knows who he is. There is a cop. They just know he's the one who gets his ear taken off. So I think yeah. you're right. I thought that he's ad-libbed most of it. I would not even know that. So that's, that makes it even better. And I think as well, in Tarantino films, Dave, when somebody gets outed and gets killed, there's no uh, fanfare. There's no like slow motion thing or sort of thing. They just get killed. I mean, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, he gets absolutely taken out, doesn't he? Do you know what I mean? And like, and like yeah. he's so prominent in the movie, but halfway through, he gets shot. But then we go backwards then in the yeah. movie, you know, and we see more of him. And and I think you're right. And and like Mr. Blonde, really, let's be honest, Dave, Mr. Blonde is probably the best character in this film realistically, Steve Buscemi, yeah, okay, Harvey Keitel, made out to be the bit of the leader, but out of all of them, Mr. Blonde's the one, when he comes on camera, you don't know what he's going to do, and you're like, I, I love seeing him on that, I totally agree, the fucking dance he's doing, the dad dance, he's sort of like the <laughs> sh- shitty moves I'd probably do in a, in a dance floor, so I get all that, and I do think Michael Madsen, for me, is the star of the show, I know Tim Roth gets a lot of time and all that, but I I don't buy any of that. And and then even the scene, I'd say which scene where it was a bit stupid, Which where they go back after all this has happened. And obviously, Chris Penn comes in, doesn't he, and shoots... um, (laughs) Shoots the cop. Copper, he comes in. All right, right. bang, bang, bang. Dead, dead, dead. That's it. Before we get the Russian standoff. It's when they're in the car and Mr. Blonde's driving. You've got the four of them. So you've got Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Orange, and Mr. Pink. And it goes on for ages, but Harvey Keitel's laugh is so false. And I'm like... Have they filmed this off the cuff? Is this like he just said, go with it, make some shit up and just laughed as like mates would do and all this. And I can't work out whether that's scripted or not, but I did find it, it went on too long. Harvey Keitel got too much uh, camera time because he was just laughing and I couldn't work out what he was laughing at. I was like, I don't understand what the fuck's going on here. I don't know whether you picked up on that, but that was the only scene in the whole movie where I was like, oh, fast forward this if I could. You know, like Yeah,
1: I, I, did, I, did, I didn't notice that so much. I, I'm going to have to go back now. I mean, that, I think that's in and around the time. So that's when they've gone back, isn't it? And that's where we yeah. see that, uh, obviously, Tim Roth, is the, um, he's the cop and he's, he's trying to be an actor. And again, when he's, when he's telling the story, which is a fake story, you know, to, to get himself in the gang and stuff, when he's, when he's delivering that dialogue, again, I just think it's a brilliant scene. And apparently that was all just done on the fly. They hadn't really thought that through. But when he's kind of, when you can see him describing the story to Joe and then you've got the camera kind of circling around in the room with the coppers, I, I just think it's brilliant and uh you you do get you know he's a bit of a bit of a comic fan you get like the you know silver surfer posters and stuff in the background he describes joe as the thing doesn't
0: he so bit of a comic fan i think old mr orange oh nice because because also dave that that place where they did and i know you know this probably but where they filmed it was an old mortuary wasn't it and the mr blonde he sat on a hearse got has got a cover on that was left over yeah (laughs) they didn't they didn't hide that they just used it as a prop but he sat on it while like it's all kicking off and i think what's interesting is the fact that i mean that building's not there now they said it's been knocked down reading it yesterday so so we get all that but the Russian standoff at the end of the guns, or the Mexican standoff, sorry, at the end, is and doesn't happen a lot in movies. I think this is probably one of the only movies I've seen, and there's been movies since, but where you would get everybody pointing a gun at each other. And, you know, usually one of them backs down, don't they, in a movie he goes, right, fucking leave it. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. Leave it, leave it. But the fact that everybody shoots each other, so you've got the dad, Joe Cobb, you've got a nice guy, Eddie, You've got Mr. White. He's adamant that Mr. Orange isn't a copper. And Joey's right. The dad is like, he's a fucking rat. He's a cop. You know, he's been speaking to the cops. He doesn't realise he's a cop, but he's speaking to him. But they all shoot each other. And you're like, holy <laughs> shit. Even watching it now, Dave, it's brilliant because you don't see that. And all three of them get taken out. And I think Mr. Orange ends up taking another bullet in the back there as well. So.
1: I don't want to be a a C next Tuesday, but uh, I think it's a Mexican standoff, Chris.
0: No, I said I said Russian, then I said Mexican. Yeah, right. like, uh, yeah, you are being a a C next <laughs> Tuesday, Dave. But anyway, yeah, I realised like afterwards it's Russian roulette. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I
1: missed that. You corrected yourself? I was just yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Dave away.
0: <laughs> 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 no, but it's a Mexican, Mexican but, but, standoff. But, yeah. Yeah, this is um,
1: this is one of those legendary things, isn't it? Because Everyone's not pointing a gun at each other. Mr. White's got his gun pointed at Joe. Joe's got his gun pointed at Mr. White. Nice Guy Eddie's got his gun pointed at Mr. White. No one's gun is on Nice Guy Eddie. And it's one of those things that apparently um, Penn had, had sort of, said, oh, just leave it as it is, you know, and people will be talking about it. And then years later, Tarantino decides it was his idea. Originally, it just became one of those again pop culture things. But you'd see people walking around with a T-shirt, which is like, who shot? Nice guy, Eddie. And so oh,
0: is that where that's from? Oh, yeah. Dave, I did not know that? I didn't Have even realise. No, I, now you've just said it as the point in the guns. I didn't even think about that. Who killed him? Yeah, I've seen them shirts. I've seen them. Oh, <laughs> my God, it's ruined that. Thirty years later, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> longest, longest known joke. Fucking so, um, hell right, yeah,
1: yeah, and then they, like you say, Mister Pink just uh, goes off. But, but of course, we know. The, the cops know exactly where they are. They were just waiting for Joe to turn up, you know, and so I, I don't think Mr. Pink would have made off with the diamonds, but, but we don't actually know, do we? So, no, Chris, just absolutely love it. And like you say, the music, the dialogue, everything. Now, I know we've run a little bit longer today. Uh, we've gone forensically through this. Should we go into our final review? Let's go.
0: Dave, I'll go first on this because I did come out, and I didn't really say it here, but as we're talking about it, I think you've you've knocked me up a score on this because I genuinely watched this. And at the end of it, I was like, you know what? It's a good movie, but is it as good as what it was? Should I have left it there in my memory? Because like I said, I only think I've watched it once properly. And Sam loved that movie. And she said to me, Dave, not to be swayed by her, she said to me, she went, you know what? It wasn't as good as I remember. She went... I genuinely loved that movie when I was younger, but watching it now, she said it was quite boring. Oh, I don't think it's boring. I've gushed over it. I still think Pulp Fiction is probably my favourite um, Tarantino one with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love Pulp Fiction. I really do. And, and I think this is a brilliant movie. I really, really enjoyed it. And talking about it with you and your enthusiasm has, has dragged it up for me, Dave. So I was going to put it in Hill Valley, but I'm not. I'm going to send it to Pleasantville. I think it's a cracking movie. I'll definitely watch it again, and especially for some of the performances. The fact that it's on a shoestring and it elevated so many careers from this movie, and you've got two of the most famous pop culture, iconic bits of music and scenes in it, it deserves to be up there. It's one of the best around, Dave, but I still think Pulp Fiction's better. So what about yourself?
1: Yeah, and just on the music as well. I mean, my my dad used to, you know, be well into his music, and so I think I had a pretty good education on like sixties and seventies music. You know, he had a massive vinyl collection. Used to go out DJing and stuff. Uh, but I'd never heard of this. You know, Steeler's Wheel uh, stuck in the middle of you with you. Uh, never heard of Little Green Bag, and and I just think Tarantino's ability to get the perfect soundtracks you know, align to the story I, I, and just make them, kind of reinvent them almost, you know, I just think it's brilliant and one of the things I hadn't mentioned, you know, I used to think Steve Wright who plays, you know, this is K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s, coming right at you. I, I just think, oh god, I wish I had that voice. <laughs> you know, it's just so cool. Um, so yeah, I, 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 again, what I was saying at the top of this, I think Depending on whether you've watched Pulp Fiction first or Reservoir Dogs first, I think dictates, you know, which your first love is is going to be. And, and that's always going to be your favorite. For me, it was Reservoir Dogs. absolutely love Pulp Fiction as well. But for me, this one was the original. I can't, you know, I've had my cards on the table pretty much throughout this episode, I think. For me personally, this is a cloud city. Now I do think I think the, the more popular view is yours that Pulp Fiction is the better movie and you know Reservoir Dogs broke Tarantino through onto the scene, but but you know this was just trying stuff out and he did really well with a with a you know slimline budget. I mean this does get you know eight point three on IMDB so it is a is a respectable score there. I just think for me this is a cloud city. Um, I I just think I'd forgotten, to be honest, quite how much I I love this. And, you know, I sat down, you know, listening to the to the soundtrack again and and just absolutely loving it. So, yeah. Yep. Love it, Chris.
0: Oh, that's great, Dave. And, and your enthusiasm for it, it's shone through because it's actually, you've done a sales pitch on me because I genuinely was going to put it in the middle. But as we talk about it, and I've done that before, we've both done it when we're reviewing stuff, you realise it's a cracky movie. It really is. So, no, I, I'm happy with that. It's, it's one of the best ones we reviewed, Dave. It's really good, really good. Uh, so, guys, if you want to contact us on Twitter, at VHS Strikes Back, if you want to follow us, now, if you don't want to follow us, if you want to email us even, the at gmail.com. And if you do want to support us, get yourselves over to Patreon. So it's patreon.com forward slash Back. And we've got various tiers from a pound all the way up to the McFly that you want to fly us off to Vegas and we'll do a show with you and that uh, do a movie of your choice. Uh, and there's plenty of people over there. We, we have early access for anybody who, who is a, a fan of the show, a couple of days earlier than when it usually releases on a Wednesday. So, yeah, get over there. So, Dave, thank you for today. And I've done it again, my friend. Uh, what are you going to lead us out with? <laughs> well, I am going to
1: lead you out with the fact that we have got next week, we had our poll choice, Chris. Now, we haven't had a poll for a little bit of time. So, we had our theme, which was high school hijinks. And our options were Revenge of the Nerds, Porkies, which was an early front runner, Chris, um, Back to School, and American Pie. And someone, I can't remember, who, tweeted back uh, just a meme of uh, a picture of a pie saying, you know, um, my plans or something, you know, and then it's got Jason Biggs, you know, with 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, outright winner was American Pie. So that's going to be here next week. And so let's listen to that trailer. Oh, baby, you're so good. Oh, yes, I am the best. Uh, you're so good.
0: Yes. Hey, Jimmy. next like Something wrong with the reception? Uh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The think... son? I'm set, Dad. i set. Yeah. No,
0: no, I, I think he's tried to watch some illegal channels here. This
1: is just a bad reception, honey.
0: You're so big. What's that? I want the right time, the right moment, the right place. not a space shuttle launch. It's sex. Tomorrow will just be some girl you go telling all your friends about. <laughs>
1: no way. Hey, did you see uh, the little mermaid on TV the other night? No? Oh, that Ariel man, she's so hot. Well, this is the this is the uh female form. Look at the expression on her face. She's kind of looking right into your eyes, saying, Hey, big boy. Hey, how you doing? This gonna be an Eastern European chick. Naked, in your house. you're not gonna do anything about that? What am I gonna do,
0: broadcast her over the internet?
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, this oh. is incredible. If you
0: ever had a chance with Nadia, this is it. Somebody's coming in there. That guy's in my trig class. Oh, no.
1: More more, you bad boy.
0: Go, no trick, boy. It's your oh. birthday. Touch me, Jim.
1: Oh,
0: oh no. Oh, no.
1: Oh. Houston, we have a problem. Friends call me Nova, as in... Uh,
0: Casanova <laughs> You actually said that yeah! Yeah! All that you gotta do is Just ask them questions and listen to what they had to say and shit. I don't know
1: man that sounds like a lot of work said not From Universal you know, Pictures said you know, his mom. Are you trying to seduce me? Yes ma'am I am <laughs> Mom. A brutally honest look. What exactly does third base feel like? Like
0: warm apple
1: pie. At that time in everyone's life, huh. when we try to hold on to our dignity. Sure. American pie. Well, we'll just tell your mother that, uh, that uh, we ate it all. Now, Chris, how are you going to lead us out this week? <laughs> <laughs> No no, actually, <laughs> no, I'm gonna take throwing you under the bus for another one. All I'll leave you with, Chris, is to say, are you gonna bark all day, little doggy? Or are you gonna bite? See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bye. That's it,
1: man. It's
0: game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't
1: we try that? We better get back, because it'll be dark soon. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'll be back. That's night We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Wax on, wax off. Oh! Get
0: to the chopper! One ring to death. All right. Ding, ding. Bust you
1: up. Go for it. Well,
0: here we go. Uh, you ain't so bad. Uh, you ain't so bad. Uh, you ain't, so bad. Uh, 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 you ain't so bad. Come on. Ain't so bad. You must be crazy or something. I'm crazy. You're just a stupid yeah, fool. Yeah, I'm you stupid. I so- ain't breathing yeah, heavy. He's a fool. He's, a fool, he's, a fool, he's, he's a stupid.
1: A I'll see you in six months. I on. <laughs> I must break it.